All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. in my office and I heard a rock. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? I'm in my prime. Ain't it cool? First you want to kill me, now you want to kiss me. Blow. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. What up, everyone? DJ Nubis with you on Metal Time Radio Podcast. Hordes of Chaos, episode 75. Opening up our show, Excommunicated, Body Count by Morgoth. Uh, If you have not heard Death Devout, their 2018 release, which is all covers, it's fucking fantastic. I know... um, I played early on when I started doing the podcast their cover of Bolt Thrower's uh, World Eater, which is my favorite from that record. But uh, they got all sorts of great shit on there. They got stuff from um, Grave, Cannibal Corpse, Cemetery, Pugent Stench, Napalm Death, Deicide, Obituary, uh, Morbid Angel. They got a couple of those. Anal Cunt, Sam Hain. They just got all sorts of shit on there. Uh, that they cover, but they did it so fucking well, and it's it's really great. I believe, um, I believe they're kind of like a a super group in a way, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, but they also do also have their own uh, album that they worked on, I believe, called Skeleton Key from um, 2011. So I don't know if they're still in work on something new yet. It looks like they are still active, so. I'm looking forward to their new release, but that uh, covers record is fabulous. It's one of the best out there. If you're gonna, if you really like death metal and stuff like that, get into that. Um, some good stuff today. A lot of new music coming your way. A uh, little bit of entertainment news. I think for a couple of um, docs, actually, yeah, two doc reviews. Uh, one doc that I'm it's coming up that I haven't seen yet but I'm being interested in but I'm going to let you know about that and then just an article I read about MTV which will be coming up soon after the first uh, block of music but uh, let's go ahead and jump into the fray here kicking off this block I've, I've got some new stuff from Writhing or Writhing and also Fester Decay which is provided by Grand Sounds uh, in this block but we're going to kick it off with some classic Necrophagia 
Here we go with Harvest Ritual. Your journey is about to begin.
fresh metal band from Chile. And you are listening to Metal Table Radio. Alright, DJ New is back with you. Metal Time Radio Podcast, episode 75 of The Horde to Chaos. So, one of the articles I wanted to get to, uh, this is an older article, I mean, I just like I said in my thrash uh, episode I did last week, how just news in general isn't all out there because of COVID and there's just not much going on. Uh, a few things are happening, you know, starting to loosen up a little bit, but uh, until bands actually get out there on a the regular to record and tour and stuff, we're kind of like... Not much else going on in that department, so I'm kind of just relying on some old information, but I haven't really touched on some of this stuff. Uh, a lot of the other stuff I have to talk about is actually pretty new, but uh, this particular article is from 2016. And I've seen it talked about on Facebook and social media and also in my own private circles a little bit about uh, the rise and fall of MTV. And the NewYorkDailyNews.com uh, website has an article on this. Uh, before I get into all the the cons and the, the basically the downfall of MTV, they, I, you know, you have to kind of admit that really for the most part early on for MTV they were trendsetters. I mean, when they first came out with music video, that was the shit. Like that was the thing. And for like a decade and almost a half, they were really. Uh, purveyors in the music and getting it out there even a lot of the labels that worked with these bands uh, you know they were crediting MTV as helping ignite that fire to get people to get out and buy music and it was just easier for the listeners to you know view these bands and the music and no matter what genre just you know you were able to get out there and see this and uh, even, you know, this article points out that, like, when you had shows like 120 Minutes that Neko talks about, and that's kind of her generation, really, is the 90s and stuff, so... But 120 Minutes actually debuted in, like, late 88 or 89. So we're talking about, like, three or four years before the grunge and alternative rock scene actually took off, so they were already starting to make way for a lot of... Like, really, at, at that time, the alternative rock area or genre was really underground. So you're talking, like, early Nirvana stuff, you know, all that kind of stuff, Soundgarden, whatnot. Because um, at that point, it was still the, the hard and glam rock and, of course, metal that was kind of dominating uh, MTD's airways. And then, of course, you had segments for uh, the hip-hop and rap stuff that came later. Uh, you know... They, they were trend centers in so many different ways with that kind of stuff. And, of course, much to our chagrin now, like, they were trend centers with reality TV. I mean, when they debuted the real world, that hadn't been done before. And to a degree, I still get a kick out of that first season because I can't remember the one dude's name, um, the white skinny dude who was, like, just <laughs> a train wreck. <laughs> But he was the funniest one in the whole thing. And, you know, whether or not it was all staged or whatever, I don't know. But they, you know, as MTV, they were the ones that kicked it all off. Now, the problem with that is, and this is where we're going to get into where they started to fall off the map, was 
MTV started relying way too heavily on the reality TV and other programming rather than focus on the music. And even we even saw this with Headbangers Ball. Like one of my biggest issues with Headbangers Ball is that they started straying away from the actual metal and hard rock segments and then adding in uh, alternative rock and grunge. And it just made no sense because a lot of different. Same with the hard rock stuff. Like I, when we when it came to Headbangers Ball, I kept saying to myself, "Okay, well we're seeing Motley Crue and Rat, and I love all those bands. Don't get me wrong, but I see these during the day. You know, they would play Motley Crue and Rat and Poison and all these during the day. We, so it, you know, when it came to Headbangers Ball, I didn't understand why we're seeing the same fucking shit. Like there was so much underground stuff that could have been played. And they just never got, they never did it. Like, you'd have the half hour of Into the Pit where you can't maybe get Exodus and Testament and shit like that. But for the most part, it was always the standard shit they were playing throughout the day. And I just, it drove me nuts. And, you know, I'm part of the Headbangers Ball um, Facebook group. And I recently joined them just because people send me invites and all that. But... Uh, apparently, Ricky Rockman is a part of that group. Like he's one of the mods or admins of it, which is cool. Uh, I used to I used to really get mad at him at that time because I thought, "Fuck, why why are you doing this, dude? Why are you playing all this shit that we've already fucking seen?" And but then later on, I re- I learned and realized that it was never in his control. None of the DJs that were running. Uh, Headbangers Ball throughout those years. Even Josta, who had come back in early 2000 to uh, reignite that Headbangers Ball show, he started out really well. He, he was playing like Sanctuary and Morbid Angel and stuff like that. But then it, it quickly evolved back into all the mainstream crap. And that's, you know, I just gave up after that point. But again, I don't think it was even in his control of what was being aired. And that's the problem. Like, I think at some point MTV probably would have been better off or better suited from the get-go. When the minute the minute they had their reality show, they must they should have split it off. And they and eventually they had MTV One and MTV Two, but neither one for a little while MTV Two was doing all the videos, but then they quit. So it, it was really kind of just weird because. You could have just left one of your programming channels for all your reality shit, and then the second one for all the the videos and stuff. But it doesn't correct the problem with stuff like Headbangers Ball. You have to have... You either have to let your DJs who are actually into the music, like, set the fucking playlist, or get people who are in the the higher-ups to take control of that better than the ones who don't know what the fuck they're doing. Having people push stuff that's already out there being played on mainstream radio or on uh, mainstream uh, MTV isn't, you know, yeah, you're going to get people to buy those records, the young ones, uh, but you're not going to introduce any of the stuff that's really deep under, and that's what really needs to be showcased. Like, if if MTV was ever serious about a serious metal show, you just have to get someone better to, you know, like Ian Christie or somebody who 
really has a deep knowledge and deep love for the metal community. Hell, fucking get me. I will do it. Uh, I'd have a blast doing it. I, I, I ain't lying. I like, I'm not much of a personality in terms of my, you know, radio personality. As you can all tell, pretty much, I'm just your normal Joe. I don't really have a radio voice, but the reality is my heart is all deep-rooted in hard rock and heavy metal, so I play a lot of underground stuff for you all. Uh, and that's how I would approach it if I did like a two or three hour Headbangers Bowl show once a week. I don't care how long it is, but the reality is you got to just have someone who's dedicated to that genre and not going to dance around. Like, I wouldn't even... At this stage, I wouldn't even dance around any of the rock stuff. I would just come straight at it with heavy metal. Because that's one area where just there's not enough people getting exposed to this stuff. I mean, we're doing good through shows like this or Metalomania, but we're not really pushing the envelope on TV. And... You know, I, I you know I don't know I, I'm not sure what the answer would be. It wouldn't even have to be MTV. It could be some specific channel. Uh, that I, I'm surprised no one's thought of it. Maybe they're just not getting enough TV ratings these days. I don't know. Um, but I think, in all honesty, if you actually put the money behind it and some thought behind it, and quit worrying about all the mainstream stuff. It's not to say that I wouldn't play the Lama Gods or, you know, Lacuna Coils stuff in those kind of shows, but I wouldn't, like, rely heavily on them because that's not all that's there. There's so much more to it. There's so many fucking great bands. And, you know, it would help the metal scene in general to have something like that on like a, a mainstream platform. Now, of course, a lot of the MTV higher-ups don't give a shit about stuff like this, but I just think that eventually MTV shot themselves in the foot because they were doing all this other shit that wasn't even music-related anymore. Like, And then once they, even before they got to the reality stuff, it's like they started straying away from, you know hard rock and metal and it was going more alternative and then I mean they are you know when alternative rock and grunge was dominating MTV like 90 to you know 91 to 93 or 94 they did the same exact thing they did with the Headbangers Ball in the late 80s is they just ended up fucking saturating Headbangers Ball with all the alternative rock stuff and I'm like why are you doing this one it's hard to even classify that stuff as straight up metal but two you're playing this shit during the day. If I've seen Nirvana 500 times throughout the day, what makes you think I want to see it two more times when I'm fucking watching Headmaker's Ball? Makes no fucking sense. So it's an interesting uh, article. It's old, like I said, but uh, they were on the time that they, the year that they did this, 2016, and they're celebrating their 36th birthday at that point. But it does go through a little bit about the history of MTV and what the pros and cons of it were. So, if you want to take the time to look at it, it's on New York Daily News. It's actually nydailynews.com. Uh, just search that plus uh, Rise and Fall of MTV and it will come up for you. Alright, uh, back into some new music. Uh, I got a track from uh, Angels PR. I actually went 
back and listened to the whole record of this recently. I really liked it. A band called Deathcraft. It's C-R-A-E-F-T. It's death and then that. Uh, so I got a song there from Angels PR that they sent me. And then I also got some new stuff from Instructor. And they're going to kick it off some Cardiac Arrest, which is fucking awesome.
Gorgera has a new track out on YouTube right now, so I'm going to have to check that out later. Uh, be looking forward to a new record by them, for sure. Also, uh, if you're a band that you know I play on these podcasts and whatnot, and you're interested in providing liner tracks for us uh, here at Metal Town Radio, uh, please do. Please contact me or DJ Neko. Of course, she's out right now, so she won't really see much, but... Uh, uh, you can get a hold of me on Facebook or my email, jamescorprew at gmail.com. That's James, C-O-R-P-R-E-W. And if you'd like to provide stuff for us to play or, uh, God forbid, you know, just want to send us a line or just showing your support of the Metal Tavern Radio podcast, we'd appreciate it. Uh, we've had a lot of bands do that for us in the past, which we greatly appreciate. All right, so... One of the first uh, docs I want to get to um, is on Amazon Prime, and I didn't know anything about it, and I didn't know any history about it, which made it more interesting for me. It's called uh, Boiled Angels, and it's a story about a young man at the time named Mike Diana, who was a cartoonist, but he basically is more like underground cartoon, and you know. Uh, drawings and whatnot so it was like just his personal little i don't know comics or whatever he'd provide he actually did some through some other sources before boiled angels but the thing is his comics and storytelling was all like very um what do you want to say it's very horror related it's all you know gore sex uh just very uh graphic and the thing about Mike Diana is he actually ends up being the only cartoonist to be convicted of obscenity laws so uh, I found that very interesting uh, there's so many different aspects to his story I can't remember how long he spent in jail I think it was like three or four years maybe um, but the thing that makes it all even more interesting is uh, at the time when, you know, the law was cracking down on this stuff, there was also some murders that happened in Gainesville during that time. Which, initially, when they saw his his comics, uh, and because he was, I think this is in all of Florida, so when they saw his comics, you know, they were, like, wondering if he was uh, attached to what was going on with the murders. And then when they cleared his name finding out that he wasn't who the killer was, uh, they decided to go after him anyway. Like, the lawyers decided, you know, we're going to make an example of this guy. And I just, it's really, really sad in a lot of ways. Like, I kind of get it when you see something like the stuff that he was drawing, that it's not disturbing or offensive. Um, for me, personally, I'm not offended by it so much as I just... I, you know, I guess I'm at a stage now where not much really bothers me. And I don't think it even really bothered me back then. But, like, you know, he was young. He was, like, 18, I think, when he was doing this stuff. So, as life goes on, sometimes you your thought process about your creation and your imagination changes over time. 
Um, I don't know how much of it that Deanna still does. Like, he's out of prison, obviously, and did his doc and everything. Um, but it, it, the doc really explores, like, how hard they went after him. And, you know, just... It's that whole, like, PRMRC thing from the late 80s, you know, when they tried to come after heavy metal and rap music and stuff and try to make an example of that. And it's just, he was one the unlucky one who ended up getting convicted for that particular type of law. And luckily, we haven't had anything like that since. Like, there, there is still freedom of expression. Uh, and the thing was, at the time, that made it really sad was that it wasn't like his comics were appearing on newsstands or anything. It was just, you really had to, like, hunt him down, like, write him and say, look, you know, I'm really into your stuff. Can I get a copy or whatever copies of your comics? And the thing is, that's how they ended up catching him, because they had an undercover cop who uh, did very that. You know, he went in and contacted Mike about getting a hold of this stuff, and that's, you know, basically, I don't know. They just found a way to charge him and get him convicted and the problem is I think a lot of the media about the Gainesville murders is what played a, a huge part of that because even though he wasn't he was cleared of that the jury probably still got in their mind that because the way that the prosecution laid it out was that because he's drawing all this graphic stuff about murder and rape and all this other stuff that somehow that was going to lead him down the path to be a serial killer. and But that couldn't be further from the truth. The dude was really actually a very quiet guy. Uh, one woman who was actually an activist against him back then, who was who was uh, interviewed for this, uh, she had, you know, they of course did the whole like holy roller thing, you know, we're praying for you. And she was convinced that Diana had been molested as a kid, and that's why he's drawn a lot of this, like, you know, incest or stuff, and, you know, the rape and all this crazy priest stuff. But Diana says, even to this day, he was never molested or anything. It was just, he would see the kind of shit going on in real life, and it, it was basically much like music, if you don't, if you think about it. it. It was just an outlet for him to get it all out. And, but he wasn't making, like, a lot of money on this. I don't think he was even selling them, I don't, if I recall. I think it was just him just doing it for fun. But, you know, they just decided to make him this example. And, it, it, like, like I said, luckily it didn't hold because we don't have that problem anymore with that. I mean, I'm sure when it comes up Sanity, we still face, like, some backlash, you know, here or there, depending on who you are and... But usually we're better off at fighting that now because of the freedom of expression and all that. Um, obviously, when it comes to, like, hate speech and stuff like that, there's a whole different level. Uh, the stuff that, that Diana was drawing, you know, again, it, it can be pretty offensive because some of the stuff is really out there. But it's it's really, it's one of those things where it's it's so so crazy that it's it's laughable like you can't help but laugh at how ridiculous it all was and i think at this stage of our society we're better at coping with stuff like that because we've seen cartoons uh movies 
music, whatever, that do crazy shit. I mean, who, I can't remember the chick's name. The, the real hot, not hot as in physically, but the, the singer that's currently the hot topic right now. She uh, does all the crazy videos. She's like a pop artist, but, you know, stuff like that probably would have been condemned like 20 years ago. But uh, it's called Boiled Angels. It's a documentary on Amazon Prime. It, it's a very interesting story. Uh, it kind of slugs along, so you really have to let, be ready and tuned in to watch it because it just kind of drones on a little bit. But it is interesting uh, just from a story perspective, something that I never knew about uh, even at the time, even though it was probably in the news a lot. Um, but interesting stuff. Check it out. All right, into our next block. New stuff from Perverse Rights, Black Communion. And we're going to kick it off with some Harry Potter black metal by a band called Slytherin, Sword of Gryffindor.
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you Alright, brand new stuff by Black Communion, Sinister Evocation of the Black Lord, closing out that last block. Getting ready to head into our rock block now, uh, not much in the way of new music, um, I do have some classic stuff from Yes, Black and Blue, Orbiter, and David Lee Roth, uh, but Curtain Calls sent me a couple of uh, bands to play, which I'm going to use to open and close the rock block. Uh, new stuff by M99 and Sin7. Sin7 is pretty interesting. It's a cover of Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins, so I thought that'd be fun to play. But we're going to open up the show in this block here with uh, M99 doing Don't Tempt Me.
Rose and heard its name ringing. All lives begin. 
racing fan want to be a part of a winning team, then contact Carmichael Racing. Carmichael Racing is currently looking for sponsors for the upcoming champ and flat card season. You could be a part of a long tradition of racing as Paul and Rhea L. race to the finish line in Mardella Speedway at Diamond Head Arena in Gillsburg, PA, March 13th through the 15th, 2020. They will also be racing at Hunterstown Speedway and Capital City Speedway in Ashland, Virginia. Racing runs deep in the blood at Carmichael Racing. And they are looking to gain sponsors for a new upcoming season. If interested, you can contact them at 443-202-3016. That's 443-202-3016. You can also find them on Facebook at SRChamp36. Carmichael Racing. Together you can soar as the engines roar.
this is Roger from No Moss. And also Ben from No Hey, Henry over here from No Moss. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Come get it. Get lit. Yeah, and John too. <laughs> Oh man, those guys from Nomos. So good. Great guys, great music. DJ Nubis, back with you on Meltdown Radio Podcast, episode 75 of the Hordes of Chaos. Closing out the Rock Block, Sin 7, Danger Zone, Kenny Loggins cover there. I wonder if, since, you know, all the movies got pushed back, you know, the, the sequel to Top Gun, Maverick, will be coming out soon enough. Maybe I should get in touch with Sin 7 to have that uh, song added to the soundtrack for that. Uh, it was pretty interesting, pretty cool. Would give it a modern day flair. So who knows? Maybe I get the word out and let them know that it's out there. Okay, on to our next doc for review. I had actually been waiting for this for a long while. Um, initially, I think it was kind of hard to come by unless you ordered it online, but... Uh, the Shutter app, one of my favorite horror apps on my Roku. Uh, they added the documentary In Search of Darkness, Our Journey to Iconic 80s Horror. Now, disclaimer, I realize that the title has Iconic 80s Horror in the title, so any criticism that I give against this is with the understanding that they actually went with all the popular stuff, although... I do have an example of why I think they should dig deeper. Um, but first, you know, let's get to what it's really about. Um, they go through the entire 80s period uh, from 1980 to 89, but they go year by year uh, talking about the horror releases of those years. So basically, not all of them, but just the, excuse me, the main part of it, the main uh, horror movies like Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and so on. Uh, it has interviews from directors like John Carpenter, Mick Garris. Uh, also has um, a lot of actors and actresses. Heather Levenkamp, Barbara Crampton, Keith David. Uh, even has appearances by Joe Bob Briggs and Darcy the Mail Girl from The Last Drive-In. If you haven't watched that series, uh, it's fucking fantastic. Um... Also, Tom At Tom Atkins, who appears in a lot of 80s horror, uh, he actually is one of those guys that's a lot of fun to not only watch on screen, but his interviews. He's so enthusiastic about the work that he did. Uh, if you didn't catch him in one of my favorite movies of all time, The Howling, uh, Halloween 3, Season of Witch, which obviously isn't a Michael Myers film, but... It the standalone piece is, is it's a great movie, underrated, highly underrated movie of the horror, uh, Halloween franchise. Um, so they basically go through each year talking about a lot of the highlights. You know, you got your, like I said, Friday the 13th, um, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, um, also uh, Evil Dead, stuff like that. Uh, touching on stuff like Parasite, Jaws 3D. Um, it's great. There's a lot of great information in there, uh, which, you know, if you're a horror newbie and you're going back to look over horror movies of the past, if you're a young, young person or whatever and not that familiar with the 80s horror, 
you know, you got Hellraiser uh, remakes like The Fly, uh, The Thing 82. Uh, also touches on horror comedy like uh, Evil Dead 2, The Burbs, um, American War from London, gets into that, Maximum Overdrive, Critters, stuff like that. Um, there's just a lot of great information in there. Even uh, I think one of my favorite interviewees uh, is Carolyn Williams, who was in uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. She was the main female lead in that. Uh, TCM 2 is actually my favorite of the Texas Chainsaw series. Uh, I know a lot of people are attached to the first original, and then, of course, 2016 with Jessica Biel is actually a pretty good remake. After that, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle uh, for me, but um, Leatherface, the, the TCM 3 was okay. Uh, but that was in the 90s. But um, anyway, one of my biggest complaints, it, 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 let me get to it, it's a four-hour-long doc, so it's, it's worthy, it's worth it uh, to check it out. I said this about the Crystal Lake Memories with the Friday the 13th franchise, which is like six hours long. Very worth it. Um, this is worth it, too. I'm not going to, you know, some of my negative criticisms won't be to say don't watch this. It's not what I'm getting at. Um, I consider myself basically I'm not a horror expert in terms of I couldn't pull up knowledge out of my ass. I mean, I've seen just about almost everything. Uh, there possibly could be. Uh, sometimes I don't waste my time with a lot of really bad stuff. But although, within the last year or two, I've been going back and watching a lot of 80s horror that I had never seen. Uh, a lot of it's forgettable. Um, some of, I found some pretty interesting stuff like The Prowler, which was actually pretty fucking amazing. Uh, I don't know how I missed that the first time around. But that kind of gets me to the point about how this doc doesn't really touch on any of the stuff that's underneath the surface. And they, again, I get it. That's not what they were shooting for. But my problem for them is they actually mention a movie and go into detail about the movie called The Burning. Now, I hadn't seen this until recently either because of people on the Facebook horror pages that recommended it. It's a good movie, and there's a lot of familiar faces. Um, so you, you'll see a lot of those familiar guys in that in that first one, Kate, including... God damn, who's the chick? I'll have to figure it out later. But um, Is it Melanie Griffith? No. I can't remember. Uh, but there's a lot of familiar faces in there you just wouldn't expect... Um, but point is, this is a movie that really went under the radar for a long time that even I didn't know about and most people didn't. So whenever someone recommended it, we all went and watched it and of course Shudder. I ended up watching it on YouTube because it was there, but Shudder ended up adding it later. Uh, I guess it just picked up some steam. But that's an example of a movie that wasn't really an iconic in terms of a lot of exposure compared to the other stuff that was out there. Um, so, if they were going to go there with that, I was a little surprised that they didn't go to any other underground or not uh, iconic horror movies. Like, you know, I, there's just so much out there that I wish they would have touched upon. Um, and you can find this article I've been reading on thespool.net. Uh, they have a little review there with this, so you, if you want to go into detail about that and read more on it, you can. Uh, that's really my biggest complaint, is just that 
you know, for a lot of us who are into the horror genre and have seen a lot of horror films and we're just more adept to knowing all the stuff that's out there and whatnot, this isn't going to do much for you in terms of information. It's fun watch, obviously, a lot of great interviews. Uh, it's fun to look back at a lot of stuff, but I wish they had, rather than just kind of spent time on the sequels, like, I get, like, Halloween 2 and 3. To me, Halloween 2 is very underrated in terms of the sequ uh, sequels itself. I know Car Carpenter doesn't like it very much. Um, I I'm not sure what he, I can't remember what Carpenter felt about 3. Well, I think Carpenter originally slated that Halloween... He wanted it to be kind of like a different movie each time, so he found out the hard way that people were so attached to Myers that, it, you know, it kind of took that off the rails. So Halloween 3 is the only one that never was attached to any of the Myers stuff. But either way, you know, they go into detail with stuff like, I don't mind, like, Dream Warriors, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. I think that's a, a really worthy movie to talk about. Uh, especially when they started discussing soundtracks and the 80s, hard rock and metal stuff. Um, but when they got into, like, Nightmare on Street 4 and, like, you know, Halloween 4 or stuff like that, it, at that point, I just, or even Hellbound, uh, even though much as a Hellraiser 2 I love a lot, but you kind of cover that ground in the first one. So I just, for me... Just because where I am with my love for horror movies and stuff, I would have liked to have seen more digging underneath the surface like they did with The Burning. Nevertheless, I know I kind of just blabbered on. Uh, it's a great doc to check out. Um, I don't know if you can find it anywhere else except for Shudder right now. Uh, you can order it on DVD if you're a horror movie buff, so uh, go ahead and do that if you're going to do that. It's worth it. Um, yeah, so check it out. And maybe give me some feedback on what you feel about it. I know some other people uh, kind of like poo-pooed on some of us who thought it should have been a little deeper. But it's not like we're really dissing it. We just we're expecting a little bit more in terms of, I guess we just want more in terms of like a horror doc. And that's kind of where I am. Like, you know, the Friday 13th one, Crystal Lake Memories, that's like six hours long, dude. And that's not even including a lot more of the recent stuff. I think they got as far as Freddy versus Jason before that was done. But those six hours, man, it keeps you engaged. I had to break it up because I didn't realize how long it was initially. Uh, much like I did with Search of Darkness, I couldn't watch it on one setting because I just got tired. But it's good stuff. A lot of information on both of those. Um, hopefully they make one that's a little more... I guess they have a, a second sequel to In Search of Darkness in the works. So I don't know what that's going to include. I hope it touches on more of the underground stuff. We'll see what happens. Um, let's get back into some music, though. i uh, got some question. Temple of Dread and Disavowed. All new stuff. And here we go.
Welcome to my house. I'm Angelica, driver of Saltari Alberta. And you listen now to Metal Tavern Radio. Alright, closing out that last block. Temple of Dread commands from a black soul from their latest release, World Sacrifice. Alright, so this next topic, it's another doc, but it's not out yet, so there's no real review of it. However, I'm excited to see it. Um, so back in 91, uh, a show creator, animated show creator, named, uh, a guy named John Quick Falusi, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, you can find this arc on ScreenRant.com, by the way. But uh, basically, he created the Ren and Stimpy show. And I don't know how many people are familiar with that uh, cartoon. I didn't actually catch on to Ren and Stimpy until about maybe 93, 94. That's around the same time that I started getting into the Beavis and Butthead. This was all like MTV stuff. Uh, of course, it was played on Nickelodeon. And stuff like that. Uh, this is all falling down the heels of The Simpsons, created in 89. So, this guy creates this show, Ren and Stimpy, which is basically, you've got two characters, a highly volatile chihuahua named Ren, and his friend and simple-minded cat, Stimpy. It's really a funny, funny series, and it's even funny if you're fucked up, <laughs> no matter if you're on drugs or just drunk off your ass. Uh, it's a show that just was really, really funny. Uh, I still get a kick out. I haven't seen it, you know, quite a long time. But apparently in 2003 they did like a sort of a reboot uh, on Spike TV. But that was kind of short-lived, I think. And the doc really starts talking about how the creator was running into problems. Uh, in which basically the content he was pushing, I guess... Not unlike my Mike Diana. I mean, it wasn't as probably not as graphic as the comics, like and stuff like that. Uh, but it kind of has the same feel. Like whereas you know he's trying to push these boundaries with his animations and storylines, and apparently getting a lot of pushback from you know the the TV uh, people and whatnot. So. The doc really covers a lot of the background story of all this, and not, you know maybe they'll probably touch on the show itself a little bit, but I think a lot of it's going to be all the drama and the stuff that went behind the scenes that eventually led to the show being canceled. It's called Happy Happy Joy Joy: The Ren and Stimpy Story, and uh, yeah, I think um, for anyone who grew up during the '90s uh, and watched this show a lot, like Beavis and Butt and all that. You'll really enjoy this. It, it was a great show to watch. I'm sure they've got DVDs of the series now out there. I haven't really looked. But, you know, apparently John was trying to push the vulgarity of everything. And eventually that's what led to the cancellation on Spike TV. So I don't know how much of that is. I don't think it ever caught the 2003 reboot or anything. So might have to look that up. But uh, at this stage now, they're just going to do this doc and talk about the controversies around everything that happened with the show and why it was eventually uh, canceled out. So something to check out uh, for all you guys that like these documentaries and stuff like that. All right, uh, coming up the next two blocks, we're getting ready to close out this motherfucker soon. 
Uh, got some uh, new stuff by Judicator, Nightingales. Uh, got some more stuff from Grand Sounds and Music Records sent to us. And recently, uh, a band from my neighborhood back back you know back out here in Maryland uh, called Cyber Strike. Uh, these guys have released a new EP called Salvation of the Wicked. And so I'm going to open up this next block with their opener from that EP. It's called Shapeshifter. Whoever is beaten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself.
This is Sky Nielsen Promotions. I offer the most affordable, effective, independent metal promotions one can find. If you've got a metal band, project, or art that you want promoted, simply search for Sky Nielsen Promotions. And you're listening to Hordes of Chaos on Metal Tavern Radio. She's in love with herself.
Adjudicator, Strange to the World, new stuff from them. DJ Nubis, getting ready to close this episode out, episode 75 of the Hordes of Chaos. Hope everybody enjoyed the show today. Uh, a lot of good topics to get to. Hope you enjoyed it. Check them out. Special thanks to Sky Nielsen Promotions. Also, uh, Krypton Scully from Metal Mania for all their support of the Metal Tavern Radio podcast. And, uh, yeah, so we're getting ready to get out of here. I've got one track left for you. It comes from a band called Crash Syndrome. Uh, they actually do a split with Fester Decay, which I played early in the show. So this is part of that same split that just came out for them. Uh, this song is called Fascinations, and I will see you all later. Enjoy. Metal it up. <laughs> 